0: Let Well, hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you, and uh as I like to do, I'll give you a little preview of what's coming up. I know most of you listen to the show in one fell swoop, but in case you have to piecemeal it, here's what you're going to be hearing later. For our inbox, a girl was interested in a guy, but she didn't tell anyone. Well, now one of her friends also likes the same guy. This is like a drama fest waiting to happen y'all how is she going to navigate this tricky situation and preserve the friendship hopefully and still be able to be honest about her feelings so one of our counselors jenny coffee is going to weigh in with some helpful thoughts on that and then for our culture segment we have doctors margaret Cottle and bill toffler here uh, they are members of our physicians resource council here at boundless and focus on the family and we're going to have a discussion on death and grief uh, including when a loved one gets a uh, Uh, terminal diagnosis. How does one process that? How do we walk people through end-of-life decisions? So uh, stay tuned for that. Okay, but here we are for our roundtable, and uh, today's going to be a fun discussion, too, because I think this comes under the category of Topics that you tend to think everyone agrees with you on or has the same opinions as you and then you find out that they don't and then you like freak out or it greatly affects the way you relate to that person. Uh, Certainly this conversation is going to come up in dating conversations and so uh, we are very privileged to have Brittany, Glenn and Roger here. Hey y'all. Hi. Hi. Good to have you. Okay. So we have Glenn here, who is a licensed professional counselor. So clearly, I haven't even talked about the topic yet. We have Roger here, who has years and years with his wife, Diane, of marriage counseling under his belt. And then we have Brittany and I, who are going to just be like women on the street talking about like, how do we even have these (laughs) conversations? And, you know, Brittany's dating someone. So we'll find out if she's had this conversation. The conversation is around when you get married, having kids or not having kids. And I think this is something if we talk to our parents or our grandparents, this used to be much more assumptive of just Mm -hmm. like, you got married, you had some kids, probably a dog probably a house in the suburbs. It was all just easy peasy. Everyone did the same thing. But now you have people that are like delaying marriage. They're delaying having kids. They're choosing not to have kids. We know, I mean, the, the acronyms DINK and, and other acronyms have come around for a reason. Um, wait a minute, what does DINK mean? I just I just realized I said that and I'm like, double income, no kids. Yes. yes. Okay, I was like, what did I just say? I know it means something. Um, anyway, but... We realize that in in marriages today, as young adults are getting married, there are a lot of factors playing into this. And so I really want to kind of start out by throwing this on the table. Like what, you know, it, it really is one of those things where you feel like you're having this conversation with someone Maybe, you you know, let's talk about straight up dating. You've dated someone for a month or two and you figure, well, this, you know, I'm certainly not on my first coffee date going to be like, what are your thoughts on kids? Let's talk about it. And a lot of people just assume they don't have to. And then the rubber hits the road and they're like, we vary greatly on this topic. So let's talk about generally speaking, um, because Glenn and Roger, you two are both married longish time marriage let's just say compared (laughs) Uh, to a lot of our listeners are you saying we're old (laughs) you know i mean i didn't want to put it that way but you know since you said it roger whatever um let's just get this on the table first is it a deal breaker if you and the person you're dating can't agree on the topic of kids and what like how would you even envision this conversation coming about because i know you both have had to probably address this Hmm.
1: I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a deal breaker, but it's something that people have to come, I think, to some level of agreement on, mm-hmm. and it may take time. A lot of it really depends upon the reason. Mm-hmm. Could there be good reasons to, to not have children? Yeah, there could be. It may be that there's a, a genetic chromosomal issue that you have. Uh, it could be age. I mean, there, there can be things where uh, people may believe that, you know, this is probably not the best decision. Mm-hmm. Um So I I don't know if I'd say it's a deal breaker, but if you can't come to some agreement, Mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty hard to move forward and feel confident. I think you almost have to be willing to accept almost the position that the other person holds, because if you get married, you're not going to be able to change their mind. Certainly, the most important thing is saying, God, what is your way in this? Um, What's your heart?
0: Well, and I think it's interesting you bring that up because I think people absolutely go into relationships assuming that they will change the other person's mind. I mean, I think that's a very, you know, because, I mean, it's like uh, once you marry me, hello, wouldn't you want to have kids? I mean, it's just like, you know, you could you could say that, like, I'm so amazing. We're going to make an amazing family, whatever. But um, I don't know. Roger, what's your take?
2: Well, I agree. uh, would agree with uh, Glenn up to the point that what happens if you have a person that is passionate very passionate about having kids let's say it's a female, and the husband says no that's that's not what I want mm-hmm. and Under those conditions, if somebody's not willing to come to that to that agreement place, it can be a a deal breaker. I know three uh, families, three couples actually that uh, two of them actually entered into a relationship into a marriage relationship with the idea of the wife saying well, I'll pray, and and I know that God will change his mind, and this will be the result. And in, in two of those cases, it wasn't the result. Those women now, older, beyond the time of having kids, uh, were left, in a sense, uh, what some would say, maybe he was the winner and she was the loser. But what was interesting to me in both those cases is... Those women wanted children and both husbands and had the mindset of saying, I don't want to share you with anybody. I Mm -hmm. want you all to myself. I want your undivided attention. Mm -hmm. So that uh, self-selfishness, that self-centeredness literally kept these women who thought they would possibly change their husbands' minds uh, never came about. And yet there was another couple, actually, uh, she worked here and he um, is in public service, who when I did their pre-marriage counseling, neither one of them wanted to have kids hmm. because they wanted to be available to the Lord to whatever he wanted for them, whether it was the mission field or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And about a year after they were married, I I had a, a checkup breakfast with him, and we had a, a discussion about kids again. And then a following year, she comes looking for Diane and myself and says, I want you to see this, and she's (laughs) pregnant, (laughs) because the Lord had changed his heart, Mm -hmm. and the Lord had changed their heart, and they fell into a new agreement, and that is, yes, we want kids, and they ended up having two boys. So it could be a deal-breaker. If one's passionate and not willing to budge, Mm -hmm. you really have to think it through wisely, because uh, I think there's some scriptures that we can look at that would suggest having those differences can be very problematic.
0: Okay. Brittany, how about your thoughts on this? Because clearly you're in the middle Mm. of this season of deciding, like, is this guy I'm dating? Like, where where are (laughs) we on this issue?
3: Yeah. So I think throughout my entire dating life, looking at someone and thinking, okay, can I be with them for the rest of my life? Are they going to be... You know, faithful to God, are they going to be a good husband and are they going to be a good father? Mm -hmm. Those are always the three things that I've kind of always asked myself when looking at a prospect, I guess you could say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I definitely think it's important to have that conversation, maybe not on the first date, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. but as it gets more serious and you do see a future together. I do think it's important to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't feel like I would go into an engagement or marriage without having that clarity of what do you want? Like, I've always wanted kids. I want whoever I marry to be just as passionate and want kids just as much. I don't want to have to convince them that crazy two-year-olds are exactly, you know, what (laughs) they want. They Mm -hmm. I would like them to want that for themselves, too. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about what, you know, because, Roger, you alluded to this a little bit. So I'd love us to bring this to the table. Some of the fears and misconceptions there may be around having kids, because, again, like I said, in previous generations, it was much more assumptive. But now there's a lot of like... You know, people have grown up in in broken and severely dysfunctional, even abusive homes. I mean, there are people who have had no experience with even kids in their life. Maybe they were an only child or maybe they were, their family was split up and they're like, I don't even know what to quote unquote do with kids. <laughs> um, you know, now we have the whole, I mean, not that I want to devote too much time to this, but the whole weirdness of like the fur baby culture and people, a lot of millennials and Gen Zers are like, that's my kid, y'all. That's what I'm doing. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that and some of the concerns of how do you have a conversation around that, about honestly bringing up people's fears and concerns without being super judgy about it um, and really opening up the table for discussion on. Because I don't there aren't many people that are just like, absolutely not. No, you know, I think most people would be willing to have the conversation, but they want to be heard and want their fears to be spoken of or, or timelines to be discussed. So what do you what do you think about that?
1: Well, I think that the just that opportunity, it, it's going to be helpful for there to be, hey, I want to understand your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, if if that openness to convey, I want to understand what you think, what you feel. I mean, certainly one of those, and you mentioned, Lisa, The um, maybe if a person has grown up in a painful family, mm-hmm. the idea of being a father, I mean, if they've been impacted by the parenting they received, they might be a little bit hesitant to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if unfortunately or fortunately, but it's the same dynamic in some ways as far as your fears of being a healthy parent that's going to impact if you're a healthy spouse. Mm -hmm. So you almost need to work through that dynamic and that issue of, okay, what were the hurts I went through? Mm -hmm. Because if I can kind of get through that, the I'm not used to it is different than I don't think I'm cut out to be a dad or a mom and, and some of those fears that I, I don't want to do the same damage that I saw done mm-hmm. in my family growing up. Mm-hmm. But we got We have a God who is a healing God and, and, and he can restore the brokenness in a person's life. And I mean, there, there are any number of people historically, I mean, I think of Josh McDowell. You know, somebody who grew up in a very, very painful home and has a son who is out speaking about the Lord and other children, I believe. I'm not sure how many he has, but God has worked in his life, even though there's been brokenness. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting people to give voice to the to the fears and the feelings is really a key. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, every generation has its stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's face it uh, this generation is not much different um than previous generations where people have uh, fears it could be look at the world we're living in and why would I want to bring up children in this and we have to recognize and I think uh, Glenn said it best we have a god who can go beyond that can we can work through those issues those maybe those upbringing issues the abuse issues or whatever that might look like because there are biblical principles that we have to consider as as believers you know, when, when God says that children are a gift from the Lord or they're a heritage from the Lord, mm-hmm. and then there's the issue of having the discussion with a potential spouse mm-hmm. that says things like, well, wait a minute, Amos 3.3, look at the principle. It says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Mm-hmm. And in reality, Scripture teaches us that they can't. Or we think of the scripture in Corinthians where it says, don't be uh, unequally yoked. And we tend to think of that as with unbelievers. But what about unequally yoked in hmm. business? What about unequally yoked when it comes to having kids? God warns us of those kind of things. These could be huge problems within a marriage relationships. And those those are the kind of problems that you don't need in a, in a marriage. So to get Get it out on the, as you used the verbiage earlier, get it out on the table. Mm-hmm. Let's have this discussion because I could tell you, for me mm-hmm. and for my bride, uh, it would have been a, a deal breaker. We both wanted kids, so thank the Lord that mm-hmm. he gave me somebody who was like-minded. <laughs> but yeah. if she would have said no... I wanted to be a dad and, and have grandchildren someday. I started thinking that when I was in the ninth grade. Yeah. That was like a goal for me. Not, <laughs> not, not that I wanted grandpa. to start that early. Yeah. right? But nice. but if, if Diane didn't want to have kids, I probably wouldn't have pursued that relationship. But okay. 45 years later, here we are.
0: There you are. And okay. it would
1: have been a deal breaker for us if we had fur babies. That was one thing yeah. We yeah. not yeah. to have.
0: Nice, so. nice. Yeah. Um, Okay, Brittany, so let's talk about because I want to actually move into and I I know both Glenn and Roger, I know you might have um, an exhortation here for folks who are not wanting to have kids for, let's just be honest, selfish reasons. And sometimes we have to examine our own hearts and we have to be like. Really, what is my motivation behind this? Because as Glenn said on the front end, there are some legitimate reasons to wait in having kids or to be like, this isn't the time. I mean, I know mm-hmm. even in even in uh, the gift of singleness, for example, those who are called maybe you're called to a mission field that's extremely dangerous. And I know men who have been very much called to not take a wife in that instance. And I think kids can kind of play into that or or whatever. But mm-hmm. um Brittany, talk about your thought process in, because I, I can bet (laughs) that Brittany has thought through like timelines. I mean, you work full time, (laughs) just you getting married and and having the conversation around affording kids, Mm -hmm. who's taking care of kids, who's doing, what has that thought process looked like and how have you had conversations around that in dating?
3: Yeah. So Honestly, I'm a very planned person from probably the age of 10. I was like, okay, by, you know, this is where I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get married at 25 and then I'm going to have my house by this time, like total 15 year timeline practically was going for me by I'm 30. This is where I will be. Um, I've definitely learned to just kind of accept where I'm at and, you know, rely on God because it's all in his timing, of course. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm kind of in a unique situation where my boyfriend, Nathaniel, will be a pilot in the Air Force. And so a lot of the whole engagement marriage talk, we are planning on getting engaged, but it's like, okay, well, you go to training here and I'm working here, so we're going to be long distance. So when's a good time to plan a wedding? So how long do we want to be engaged before that. Like, he doesn't want to be engaged for three years or something. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, don't mind a longer engagement if it means a wedding is eventually coming. But I think a lot of it just has to do with open conversation because we talk about it very freely. And since we both know that's the direction we're going, it comes up very often. I do think When you're kind of in that in-between stage of, oh, I'm not exactly sure if this is the person for me or I don't know how to enter the conversation, I'm all about transparency. I think once you get to a point where you're comfortable with someone, then you should be able to talk about your hopes and dreams and plans for the future. Mm -hmm. Because having a similar timeline and being in a good spot now is great. But also having the assurance that in the future, you'll still want the same things and generally have the same goals, even though you'll be learning and growing together as you age and mature, that's still so important to know going into a long-term committed relationship.
1: And I think some ways how people discuss it tells you a whole lot about them.
3: Uh, in
1: other words, if somebody is coming across in kind of a manipulative way of either, yeah, we're going to have kids or no, we're not, that tells you a lot about their heart as opposed right. to, are they willing to hear and understand your perspective too? Mm-hmm. Or is it really that controlling tendency that can sometimes take place in a relationship?
2: Yeah. And, and you know, Diane and I have always um, shared with young couples when we're mentoring, uh, you find somebody who has a heart for the Lord and who is teachable the Holy Spirit then could do the rest because in those situations where you might have differences of opinion in a relationship about having kids, what happens when you do everything you can to prevent that process and God intervenes and says, guess what? Mm -hmm. And, and, Mm -hmm. and now what, what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Uh, When, especially if you have one that says this is great and the other saying, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think uh, having that discussion, Much like you were saying, Brittany, just having that discussion over and over and over again and making sure as you move forward in your relationship that you are on the same page so that you are equally yoked, so that you are walking in agreement. And that way, then your relationship, regardless of kids or no kids, and God ultimately is in control of that anyway, Mm -hmm. you could have all the desire you want and then never have them. And yet Mm -hmm. you could be single and 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 adopt one and have a child. So the end result is what's really going to bring ultimate glory to the Lord? Uh, and where your relationship will flourish, instead of really division being created mm-hmm. uh, because of a of a difference of opinion that really wasn't settled uh, early enough in the relationship.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe in just like I mean, we just have like a minute or two left here. So really, really quickly here, give a vision for the the person who's listening, who kind of like what I said before is like, well, I'm I think I'm okay with kids, but. I mean, I've got student loan debt to pay off. I don't know where my career is going. I mean, I wanted to go and like travel across Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. all myriad of reasons of why mm-hmm. kids they just feel may not fit into their neat and tidy picture. And maybe Glenn and Roger, you can give a quick little short, inspirational stump speech for how kids can be incorporated into your life and not completely suck all of your dreams out of you.
1: Well, sometimes <laughs> when we have that tendency to say, okay, right now now, what's going, to be, what's going to be in my benefit? What's what's valuable to me? We can be pretty short-sighted mm-hmm. because ultimately, in our years as we grow older. Uh, right now, I have two grandchildren. One has shown herself; the other is going to be showing herself in about a month. Uh, so, you know, just the joy of it, and and financially, you know, for the most part, could there be a, a unique scenario? Yeah, that's true. But generally speaking it's a situation where the lord will provide and and being faithful to him he will okay. be faithful to you
2: okay kids don't have to be a burden mm-hmm. they can be a blessing have you ever thought about taking your kids to europe mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there's there's mm-hmm. there's no reason why kids should stop as from doing the things that we really believe God has desired for us to do, why he's created us or our purpose. Uh, Kids could actually be an enhancement to that, because kids are going to teach you one thing about yourself, and that is how selfish you are and how (laughs) self-centered you can be, but they'll also teach you about God's love and how uh, much he loves us as his children and to be able, like, like Glenn, I've got five grandkids, for my children to have kids to see that and to experience that, for them to experience the joy that they brought into my life there's nothing better than that when you look at it at the other end
0: yeah absolutely well good thoughts everyone thanks so much for weighing in on this i think it is encouraging and it just encourages us to have the conversation i think that's a great place to start thanks so much thank you thank
3: you lisa thank you this world is a thief walking the streets trying to steal my hope
1: steal my dreams dressed up in disguise whispering lies so
2: sweet one more day watching you take All the good
3: things in this life The good Lord gave I'm taking
0: Well, hey everyone. We are here for this week's culture segment and I think that this week's topic is really going to be of interest to you because it's funny because as I've talked to like older folks here around work, they're like, "Why are you talking about this topic with young adults? Like what do they care?" And I'm like, "Oh, they'll know. They'll know. And so you guys are going to know." Um we're going to talk about the topic of uh basically death. Um and let's be honest, uh, end of life, end of life care, like uh, when you or a loved one receives a terminal diagnosis, how do you process that? And it's so interesting. So many of you know that my dad died of cancer when I was 30, and uh, then my mom has has recently gone to be with the Lord as well, and she had dementia, and so I've walked with both of them uh, through this season, and I know for my dad, it was really the first time anyone super close to me had died, and so I had a lot of questions, and there was just a lot of fear and I really wish that I would have had people like our two guests today to help me navigate this space. And today we have two members of our Physicians Resource Council. Uh, You know, we've had these, we've had folks from our PRC on before here at Focus on the Family and Boundless um, because they really help us wrestle with a lot of the issues, a lot of the uh, content around medical uh, care and, and otherwise in the culture, the way it presents itself. And so... I would love to welcome Dr. Margaret Cottle and Dr. Bill Toffler to The Boundless Show. Welcome, you two. Thanks
4: for having us. We're really glad to be here.
0: Super to have you. Okay, so just by way of a little bit of introduction, um, Dr. Cottle, you are a palliative care physician in British Columbia in Vancouver, and Dr. Toffler, a family physician uh, at Holy Family Catholic Clinic in Portland. And you've been, okay, what would you say, collectively in practice how many years? More than three well, it's getting, it's getting up
5: there. I think it's 45 uh, years uh, since, 45 Gosh. or more since I left uh, residency wow. or medical school, yeah.
0: Awesome. Okay. So 1979,
4: you get to do the okay.
0: math. Okay. <laughs> well, super, super great. Well, and I love, and the reason I was so glad that you two could be here today is that um, this is something that you specifically have expertise in and a heart for. And obviously, great uh champions of life at all ages and stages, including the preborn and, and beyond. And so we really want to kind of infuse this conversation with hope for people who are like, because I was even sharing with the doctors beforehand, you guys, that, um, you know, there are some of you who lost a parent or a grandparent to COVID, you know, during this, these last couple of years. And so some of this uh, really hits close to home for a lot of you. And so, um let's go ahead I want to start out by just allowing you to to kind of introduce the type of work that you do um both specifically and generally and whatever historically uh, just for a little bit of context of what we're going to talk about today so go ahead and give us a little brief intro on the professional front
4: I started out as a student health service doctor for six years when I was having my children and transitioned into doing palliative care which I've been doing for 30 years now uh, over 30 years My favorite part is that I work in home care. Hmm. So I get to visit people at home and see what their situation is like, help their families figure out how to do this well. It has been a great sadness for us during COVID that we were not allowed to visit people at home and had to do some of this by video and just not the same as being able to be there in the home and care for people Touch them and encourage yeah. them and see what's going on. So, I I really love doing what I do because it gives me an opportunity to bring hope mm-hmm. into the situation. We talk about uh, reframing hope that maybe you can't have the things that you were hoping for even six months ago. But what can you hope for? Mm-hmm. How can we put? more life into the years that you have or into the days that you have. Mm-hmm. And it's, it always gives me a real sense of accomplishment when I'm able to do that, and a lot of pain when I'm not able to. Yeah. Uh,
0: Dr. Cottle, just for people who don't know, can you define palliative care, just to give us a little context?
4: Okay, palliative care, pal, a pallium is a cloak that covers. So palliative care is something that provides comfort without cure. Mm. There's a little bit of an overlap with hospice. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in Britain, hospice and palliative care are about the same thing. But in the United States, it's a little different. It's a little different in Canada. You you talk about a hospice care or a freestanding hospice, which is a building, or palliative care, it tends to be, or, or palliative medicine. It's interesting how that got started because the Dame Cicely Saunders from Britain, who started the modern hospice movement, she felt like she just called it hospice. Mm. And then when it came to Canada with Dr. Balfourmount, Mount, under whom I studied, he realized that in French, as in a lot of other languages, if you use the term hospice or with the equivalent, it was like a Salvation Army hostel. Mm. And he knew that people would never go to that. They would never be attracted to uh, having this type of wonderful care if it had that kind of a stigma. So really, palliative medicine and hospice care are Fairly interchangeable. Okay, awesome.
0: All right, and Dr. Toffler, as a family physician, you kind of deal with the spectrum of folks out there in various ages, stages, medical conditions, and whatnot. What are the things you love most about that?
5: Well, part of why I chose family medicine as a discipline was that I really couldn't make up my mind in any one area. I liked all aspects of Mm -hmm. medicine, and so I'm privileged to be able to take care of people from conception or even preconception, people with infertility problems, to their pregnancy, and I am one of the family physicians that does ob i 've been privileged to be there at the delivery of um, probably a thousand patients over <laughs> my my career, mm-hmm. but I also take care of at the other end of life of dying patients and and people who 've grieving and lost loved ones, including mm-hmm. just this week, uh, two days ago, after I had gone to daily Mass, which I do as a Catholic Christian. Uh, I met with a man who'd lost his wife, um, exactly a month ago, uh, mm-hmm. suddenly, mm-hmm. and he was away on a trip and the recriminations that comes up with, I shouldn't have left. I, I, I should have been there. She, she poo-pooed how difficult the illness was and I, I shouldn't have let her let me go off. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, often that, that I couldn't say goodbye. I'm, Margaret's a specialist in palliative care, which, by the way, it's not just end of life. A palliative Mm -hmm. care doctor, she didn't mention this, is someone who Mm -hmm. can palliate, put the cloak on people who are suffering. And Mm -hmm. it could be someone who's not imminently dying or even necessarily Mm -hmm. dying any more than the rest of us are dying. (laughs) We're all terminal. But the the reality is that (laughs) um, that... Sudden death. I think, in many ways, uh, having lost my my late wife Marlene after um, um, she had cancer of the uterus that had spread to all parts of her body by the end, and it was mm-hmm. it was universally terminal once it got out of the barn, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and we knew that we our last five years of of life were among the most special because you knew you didn't have unlimited time. You didn't put yeah. the issue of death on the back burner. And so I, I used to say, I wish I could just die on a racquetball suddenly, and, and I don't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability mm-hmm. to avoid that, that sudden loss that my my uh, colleague and friend uh, from uh, from church that lost his wife, this was his second wife, his first from, from cancer, and this one, and I failed to ask him, I really should have done this, of, you know, you've lost two wives now from natural causes, uh, uh, tell me about the experience and mm-hmm. and that's that's the way I think we minister each other
0: is, is yeah.
5: let them tell their story yeah, yeah.
0: that's great what um so let's just I, I just want to jump into this because I know this is, you know, bringing up a lot of thoughts for for folks in our audience. And there's probably for those who haven't lost someone close to them or even had to walk through a serious illness with someone. There's that sense of dread of like, when's going to be the first time? Am I going to mm-hmm. get some phone call? I mean, a lot of people wrestle with very real anxiety and fears over this. But let's just say let's jump into it. You find out someone that you know and love—a friend, a family member—has been given a diagnosis, or has died, or is dying. What is your? If you had to sit down with that person just for a minute or two, what's your first advice out of the gate?
4: So, to the the person himself or herself who has just had it, I I think we need to take a page out of Job. Hmm. And think about Job's friends. So they came and they sat there for seven days and didn't say anything. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know very many people in the West <laughs> who could actually sit there for seven days and say nothing. And they and and we have the gall to say that these guys were you know, you're a Job's comforter if you're doing things wrong. I think actually just listening hmm. and being there and being present, bearing witness. There's a a, a wonderful hospice physician by the name of Dr. Sheila Cassidy, who wrote an amazing book called Sharing the Darkness. And she talks about the importance of bearing witness. And she uses the idea of Mary standing at the foot of the cross Hmm. and how Mary could do nothing. She couldn't bring a meal. She couldn't uh, write out a nice scripture verse. She couldn't take the kids for a while, do any of those little things that really help. But just standing there, was really doing something. Mm. And I think we need to get outside our culture which says that oh this is all just terrible, you know, mm-hmm. oh this is awful and it it is terrible. It's not good to get a great di- a diagnosis like that. It's not a great moment in anyone's life. I still remember when my mom's cancer metastasized. I felt like I couldn't swallow and I was kicked in the stomach. I had little tiny children and I thought when my mom dies, i 'm just going to come apart if I feel like this when I just get the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and I was probably in the age group of your demographic mm-hmm. at that point, but you know those days where I was able to care for her are golden to me. Mm-hmm. Our culture tells us that being around people who are suffering is not worth anything mm-hmm. that it's um, it's you're suffering yourself, and why would you put yourself out there but we've we've sold out to this, what I call the Cracker Jack box gold, it's a false gold of autonomy and being comfortable and all of these things. When what we really get to have is that true gold refined by fire mm-hmm. that we get by walking with someone in the darkest days of their life and being there, mm-hmm. showing up, Hmm. accompanying that person. You know, God is no person's debtor. Mm-hmm. You show up for stuff like that and you take your cue from the person, what they need, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what that person needs, not what you think they need. Mm-hmm. And you do that and you have it coming back to you, pressed down and overflowing. Maybe not in that moment, but the rest of your life, you know, you can't outgive God. Yeah, that's
5: good. You, know, you said that so well, Margaret. I, I, I was ignorant about what you just said when I was a medical student and I still remember a woman that was on a GYN campus Cancer ward and it was like there was nothing left to do in the sense of medical interventions. And so I was never taught what you just said. I was never taught that being present is actually the doctor is drug, if you will, or the person, the human is drug. Uh, you know, whoever said showing up is 90% of the, the mm-hmm. battle. And so you, you don't have to know everything. You have to be present. I and...
4: hope you don't. <laughs> you know, I hope you don't act like you know everything. Yeah. You're much better If you go into a situation like that, saying, with open hands, saying, I don't know what you need. I've never been through this, but I'm not going to desert you. Mm -hmm. We have very dear friends who lost a child to a long-term illness when he was 10. And they said, you know, people said stupid things that did hurt us. But the thing that hurt us most was people who never showed up or who were silent. Mm -hmm. So put your good radar on and if you, something that you say watch their face mm-hmm. if something that you say looks like it lands funny then just say mm-hmm. oh i'm sorry you know tell me how i can how i can do better what about that hurt you open those lines of communication mm-hmm. it's not all about having a positive attitude yeah. it's about being there showing up for the person at the way you would want somebody to show up for you
0: so what about if you're the person who's, like, freaking out at the news? Like, say it is your parent yeah. or it's a loved one or something like that. I just remember I'm, – I'm trying to think, like, what would my advice be? Because when my dad got his cancer diagnosis, I know I – I'm, I'm just classically a fixer and so my thing was I read several books yep. and I decided that I was going to juice my dad out of cancer <laughs> and so I've and I think that. there was an element of it that was helpful for me because it gave me something to apply myself to and I went but then my dad's like I don't want to drink this juice and then I'm like really mad at him because I'm like yeah. dad this is going to save your life so, you need so, to do so, it.
5: Yeah Lisa you bring it up but, an important point yeah. and, and as a male I, I identify with the fixing thing as opposed to the listing thing and I've had to learn and go against what my come naturally to realize that what the person needs is for you to be present for you to listen to their hurts and things and that actually is therapeutic you don't have to fix anything
4: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: let's go ahead um just uh it always time goes by so fast so we're we're out of time but i want to ask you before we f- uh finish here For someone that is, say, usually this happens like within families. So for the person that's listening, you know, maybe they're a 20 something, maybe they're a 30 something. This is like grandma, maybe this is a parent. This is, everyone is, is expected to pitch in. What does it look like for families to work best together for caring, for conversations around this? And how do you do that and want to do your part? but still care for yourself and grieve and make sure that you're taking space to process all of this yourself as well?
4: Well, this is a big part of my job mm-hmm. <laughs> when I do home visits and when I do this is helping families figure out how to navigate this. Well, there's no perfect families because there's no perfect people, and we, we have to know our family culture a bit and try not to swim upstream from it too much, but figure it out. And if you need to have someone who's a professional come in and mediate in a family meeting, that's worth doing Mm. uh, if you know that it's going to be contentious and all of those other things. But I think it's a good idea for everybody to have a say, for it to be um, non-confrontational, and for there to be a plan that comes out. And the other thing that's really helpful is – if there's a a designated time for reviewing the plan. So if it's a really difficult situation then you review every week if it's not so difficult you review maybe every two weeks or every month and then you don't have to worry about bringing up this little tiny niggly thing that you think you're really small if you if you're doing this but it's bugging you it comes up at the review everybody has a say this is how we uh, we deal with this what's working what's not working where do we need to get outside help uh, if friends and fam other family members are asking, what do we ask for mm-hmm. those kinds of things and what's what's the worst part of this for us How can we do this and making um making a decision to work as a team mm-hmm. I think that can be helpful, but the other thing is just not taking it on yourself if you can't fix everything. Mm -hmm. That's
5: well said. And I I think of my own parents, the aging parents, they came and lived with us for the last three or four years of their lives. Uh, They were both in their 80s. And the reality is that we took them into our house at first, and believe it or not, it was my father that didn't like that because he basically wanted more independence. So he then went to independent living. And then as he got stuck in the bathtub and literally couldn't get out because they didn't have people to help, you'd have to call 911 and embarrassment of being um, buck naked and, and having the firemen take you out of the, the mm-hmm. tub. And so then they went to assisted living. And then it was uh, it was like a morgue on a weekend was the, uh, was the fr- phrase that my father used. And mm-hmm. so we literally remodeled our house, put an elevator in, and they finally came and lived with us in the last years of their lives. But the point is it has to be revisited as a team effort of what – what is the right thing? And and I think as you were asking the question, at least the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, you've got to put your mask on first before you attend to your, your child. And so you, you you everyone knows that from flying in airplanes that this is common sense. And yet I think many times people do it, overextend themselves. And literally I've had patients who are burnt out and then they're loving people. They love their loved one, but they're just almost catatonic from exhaustion. And that's not good. And so you've got to at least tend to yourself so that you can, you know. And you think about uh, the, the scripture: how many times Jesus said, "Feed the person, eat, get them something to eat," even after they were cured. Mm-hmm. We need to to be tending to ourselves.
4: Mm-hmm. We need to let people help us too. Mm-hmm. That's my dear friend, uh, Dr. Edwin Hui, had uh, some articles published about the Christian duty to be cared for. Mm-hmm. He said, all of us understand the Christian duty to care, Mm -hmm. but we have a Christian duty to allow ourselves to be cared for when we need that care. Mm -hmm. And that includes when you're being the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about the mask, though, putting on your mask first, is there are going to be some seasons when it's going to be tougher. And I think there are some people that put on their masks (laughs) I've seen it and walk out of the room and leave everybody else sitting there. Mm -hmm. And so you need to do your share Mm -hmm. as well. And if you need to get help for that or do whatever it is, but you need to be doing your share Mm -hmm. and everyone and you get these little rewards. I remember in my dad's last hospitalization when his dementia was pretty severe, it was the middle of the night and they brought, we had to go to the emergency room and they brought him a warm blanket and this man who could not remember, beautiful man, who but could not remember whether his parents were alive when he was 92, mm-hmm. took the blanket and then he looked at me and he said, is there one for you too? Hmm. <laughs> and my heart just about broke thinking about how kind he had been to me through my whole life. And, and we need to recognize the opportunity we have to give back to people, Mm -hmm. and that 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 does pay dividends. And I told a friend of mine who had also cared for his father with Alzheimer's, and he said, yes, dementia takes a lot away from us, but every once in a while you get that flash of who the person really is, Mm -hmm. and you get to see the man your mother fell in love with and your grandmother was so proud of. And I thought that was that was really beautiful. People would say to me, oh, your dad died long before he really died. And I said, no, mm-hmm. he was still there. He mm-hmm. was lovely. He was my dad. All of him was not accessible to me, mm-hmm. but he was there. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I would say to your audience, to our audience is don't miss this opportunity to really grow in your faith. Mm-hmm. You can cast your cares on the Lord. He will give you... The wisdom that you need to do these things. Cry out to him. He will help you to find people that to come alongside you and help you. And if you're having trouble with that, go to your church. That's why we live in community. Mm-hmm. It's our privilege to care for one another. That's where you get that gold of the relationship. Don't miss it. Yeah. Don't, don't zone out and play video games and do all sorts of other things. Really show up for this and you will never be sorry. Well, we will make sure that we get
0: some additional information on this um, topic uh, to you guys as you've you been listening here. Um, again, we've been talking with Dr. Margaret Cottle and Dr. Bill Toffler um, really about navigating, you know, the the concept of death. Many of us, you know, are loath to think about it or navigating the family dynamics around this and, and even publicly, you know, talking about physician-assisted suicide. Um, I do want to let you guys know that... Uh, um, you probably remember when we had uh, author Isabel Tom on uh, she wrote a book called The Value of Wrinkles and where she shares her story from a specifically asian context and culture of her um grandparents living with them for so many years and just the the lessons that she learned and the you know the hard lessons and the great lessons and what it looked like for her to as a very young adult um put aside uh, some of her own time and some of her own comforts in order to be present uh, for her family, especially the older uh, folks in there. So actually, I want to let you know that we're going to make that book available to you um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. If you go to Boundless.org, you can search for 745. That's this week's episode. And you'll see the book there. Just give a gift of any amount to Boundless, and we'll send that book to you as our thank you. And you can hopefully get the conversation started with friends, with maybe some of your family members around this. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Scottel, and Toffler for weighing in on this conversation Thanks Good for having us
4: yeah. That
1: was great Had a collection Of imperfections Picking up dust in my soul I met a savior Who said I'll trade your rust For my glittering gold Oh Could I
6: say no? I traded a life of sin.
0: All right, everyone, we are finishing out our show here by opening up our inbox where we answer one of your questions. And so today we have one from one of our female listeners. Um, we have got Jenny coffee here in the studio, one of our counselors. Hey, Jenny. Hello. All right. Well, our listener says recently I became interested in a guy but didn't tell anyone. Soon after, one of my good friends told me that she started to like him and even asked me if I would introduce her to him. Every time we see each other now, she brings him up and even asks me directly if she thinks they would be good together. (laughs) I know my friendship is ultimately more important than my crush on this guy, but how do I navigate the tension of wanting to be a good friend but also having feelings
6: for this guy? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because she's kind of starting out the question by assuming that there's going to be tension, which is not necessarily that 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 would be the case. Yeah. Um, And I think what it comes down to is one of two choices. I don't think there's a right or a wrong here. The first choice would be, are you able to completely walk away from this without really knowing how it would come about as far as if you were to say something about this guy and walk away from Mm -hmm. it and just let it be and be okay with that? Mm -hmm. And then the other choice would be, are you wanting to bring it up? Is the thought of the perspective... Dating relationship with this guy appealing enough that you want to risk, so to speak, maybe some tension in the relationship. But I wouldn't necessarily go into it with the pessimistic view that it's going to be a huge tension piece. I think Mm -hmm. it probably is more common than this woman thinks for Mm -hmm. two friends to like the same person because – You're probably friends with this person because you have a lot of the same interests and likes. And so bringing those things to the table and at least addressing it would be something I would usually suggest and having that assertiveness. But also it's completely within her right to kind of shut it up and put it away as long as that's not going to build resentment and bitterness mm-hmm. in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it is kind of tricky because she's saying here that this is one of her good friends, right. which I'm actually kind of surprised that they haven't had this conversation. You know, they're and I'm not saying this, you know, dear listener to just be <laughs> I'm hoping this won't come across to just super. Slay rude. You. Right. But yeah. it's kind of like, you know, there's no way that this friend can know anything about your feelings because you haven't shared them. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing on her at this point. She's just honestly thinking she's probably the only one that likes this guy. Right. And how are you gonna help her, you know, make her interest known or whatever, or you know, that kind of stuff. And so Again, there's really nothing for her to work with at this point. So I really think it is there's there's too just this aspect of stepping back and trusting God. I mean, clearly, this guy hasn't asked either of you out at right. this point. <laughs> so yeah, it's not like this might be a moot point at this point. So I think that if you guys are really good friends, I don't see why you couldn't share this with each other and be like, you know what? This might be a a situation where you can just trust God with your friendship and mm-hmm. realize that that's probably going to outlast any interest in this guy anyway. And mm-hmm. so hopefully um you know y'all will be able to uh, talk it out if that's if that's possible. But again, it's not like a a thing as Jenny said where there has to be one way you go about this. Right. And I mean, it's
6: a lesson like I said in assertiveness. I mm-hmm. think to me it's not it doesn't sound like this friend is just hardcore in love with this guy so if the listener is not as an assertive person it's a good opportunity to say why don't you try to speak up speak what you're feeling bring that to the surface because there's going to be even harder things probably down the road and it'll be a good lesson and learning how to do that in a way that's not you know damaging
0: yeah absolutely absolutely well, that is a great point, and uh, Jenny, thanks so much for yes, weighing in on that. thank you for having that. me. Okay, well, folks, um, we are finishing out our show here, and I do, it's not often, I mean, I feel like this is around Christmas that I usually say this, but I want to say it now because I know some of you have wondered, like, hey, how can I help support the work that Boundless does? And for those of you that ever hop over to our website, you know that we have a donate button there, and so I just want to put a little shout out for those of you that might be willing to do this. Maybe you got your awesome tax return already or whatever and you're just like i love boundless i'm so glad boundless exists i want to just give a little bit to help this ministry that i love so much you can just go to boundless.org slash donate and give a gift there and we would super appreciate it if you would help us out as we head into the spring and the summer here and um, move into continued ministry and uh, really some new things in the future we're hoping so otherwise i will see you around next week i'm lisa anderson for the boundless show
2: The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.
0: Hey, Lisa Anderson with The Boundless Show here, letting you know that coming up, we have got another Listen App event on the books. This time it's gonna be with our friend, Jonathan Pakluda. He is, you know him from The porch, you know him from Harris Creek Baptist Church. He has been here on The Boundless Show before. Me and JP are going to be answering your questions on dating and relationships on May 24th from three to 4 p.m. Mountain Time. That is five to six Eastern. And what you need to do is download the listen app. Join us with your question the day of and uh, we're going to post a link to our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. But once you have the app, you will actually get notifications of when the event is and then you will be able to join us live and even ask your question live when it actually happens. So again, this is May 24th from 3 to 4 p.m. Mountain Time. 5 Eastern. And again, Jonathan Pakluda and myself answering your dating and relationship questions. We will see you then.